Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 and what does he demand of us now watch this because this is really the message of chapter 5 from this point on and chapter 6 i might might add he demands that citizens of his kingdom obey the moral standards of righteousness that have been revealed already in the law of Moses. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount, and up till this point, Jesus has been talking about our inner qualities as his followers. But beginning in Matthew 5.17, Jesus gets to meddling, as the old saying goes. He begins to assert his authority and explain the way those internal qualities ought to express themselves in our lives. The internal transformation that is completely different from the external compliance his listeners had been taught by their rabbis. Here's Pastor Steve to lead our study. This morning we want to continue our study in Matthew's Gospel. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. As we now begin a new section of the Sermon on the Mount, a very challenging section, a section that is filled with magnificent truths for us. Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse, at verse 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we said, with these words, the Lord begins a new section of his sermon. And I remind you that the entire sermon is centered around a central theme. It's connected, it's unified by one central thought, and that is that citizens of the kingdom are distinct. They're different from those who are outside of the kingdom. That's the message of the whole sermon. That's also the message of this section of the sermon, though each section has a different emphasis. The sermon, as you recall, began with the Beatitudes, describing a number of inner qualities that believers have, distinct inner character traits that are unique to believers. Unbelievers don't have these. Followers of Christ are poor in spirit. They mourn over their sin. They're meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are merciful. They are pure in heart, and they are peacemakers. And because of these unique inner qualities, Jesus concluded the Beatitudes by saying that that we as believers could expect to be persecuted persecuted because we are like this, and the world doesn't want to see people like this. But then, in verses 13 through 16, the Lord, still speaking, coming out of the Beatitudes, still connecting to that, 
uses two metaphors taken from the day in which he lived, the common world of his day, to reveal the profound impact that Beatitude-like people have upon the world. He said we're like salt and we're like light. Like salt that slows down the decaying process of rotting meat, so citizens of his kingdom slow down the moral deterioration of their world, and thus they are called the salt of the earth. And like light that shines forth so that others can see clearly around them, so citizens of his kingdom shine forth with their good works that Christ has already produced in them so that others can see Christ in them and around them, and thus they are called the light of the world. And so the first section of of Christ's Sermon on the Mount focused on inner character and the kind of impact that we have on the world. That's really, that sums it up. But as you remember, we discussed this, and as you can look at it now, it doesn't really give us any specifics of what we should do. There are no commands in the Beatitudes, just statements of fact. There, there is a, I should say, there is a, a one small statement which Jesus commands us to rejoice when we're persecuted. But other than that, in the Beatitudes itself, it's just factual statements. But starting with verse 17, the Lord begins to emphasize something else. Having already described the inner character of his followers, now Jesus says that in light of our character, he tells us how he expects us to behave. How should we conduct ourselves? And that's why, folks, notice this, the tone of the sermon absolutely changes from this point on. The Lord's words take on a new ring of authority as he begins to issue forth commands and and orders for citizens of his kingdom to, to follow. You can easily see this just in the way he addresses the people. For example, he began the sermon, you can see, by speaking in the third person. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, etc. Then he continued in the second person, got more direct. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But notice now how Jesus changes to the authoritative first person. You see this in verse 18. But I say unto you, he says it again in verse 20, but I say unto you, and he'll say it throughout chapter 5. And what these statements reveal is an unbending dogmatism that now is brought out in the sermon. His teaching has an unbending dogmatism. These are authoritative commands from a king to his subjects. These are orders that must be obeyed. And those who heard him that day recognized that he spoke with incredible boldness and he spoke with great authority. Let me show you what I mean. If you'll turn to chapter 7, the last two verses of the chapter are the last two verses of the Sermon on the Mount, starting with chapter 8, verse 1, something else. Notice Matthew's commentary on Christ's words. Verse 28, he said, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Now, why were they so amazed? Here's why, verse 29, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. See, no rabbi in that day ever spoke like Jesus did. Now, it doesn't mean that he was louder. When the Bible speaks of authority, it doesn't mean loudness. Anybody can shout. That's not what he's talking about. No rabbi in in that day ever said, but I say unto you. What a rabbi typically did is they quoted other rabbis. They said, here's the teaching because Rabbi Hillel said this. So I come to you in the name of Rabbi Hillel. Or they might say, Rabbi Akiba said in the name of Rabbi Gamaliel this. It was never, but I'm telling you. 
because they had no authority. Their authority was the ancient rabbis. So you had rabbis quoting rabbis. That was it. But Jesus wasn't another rabbi. He didn't need any man to bring weight to his authoritative teaching. He was the ultimate authority. So he repeatedly used the dogmatic formula throughout the sermon, but I say unto you, that was unheard of. In that day, nobody said that. And that's exactly what Matthew is talking about. Jesus was unlike anyone they had ever heard because he wasn't just another human rabbi. He was the divine king telling citizens of his kingdom what he demanded of them in terms of their conduct. And what does he demand of us? Now watch this, because this is really the message of chapter 5 from this point on. And chapter 6, I might, might add. He demands that citizens of his kingdom obey the moral standards of righteousness that have been revealed already in the law of Moses. In contrast to religious hypocrites, whose obedience to the law was, was only external and just outward, mere formality, rigid set of of outward conformity to certain rules. Jesus demands that his followers obey him stemming from a heart of obedience, that there's true submission, that it goes beneath the surface. And that's why the Lord devotes most of chapter 5 to explaining the real interpretation of several specific Old Testament moral laws. For example, in verse 21, he speaks about murder, that murder is not something that's that's just uh, what you do physically, but you're not supposed to be angry. That's murder to God. Adultery is not the physical act of adultery alone. It's there as a mental act as well. He speaks about divorce in, in verses 31 and 32, making oaths. Uh, swearing in verse uh, in verse 33, the law of retribution, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He explains the meaning of that in, in verse 38 and, and the, the law of love in verse 43. And in doing this, his, his purpose is to explain the true interpretation of these laws, not the traditional rabbinical interpretation. All they did, and this is what they passed on to the Jewish people, was say, don't commit the act. And they had others. They, they had twisted the real meaning of God's intention. But now you have Christ as king, who is the lawgiver. He's the one who gave the law. He's the source of it, explaining now to the people what he originally intended before people messed it up, before the rabbis got hold of it and corrupted it. And so he explains not the superficial surface interpretation given by the religious leaders, but he explains the true meaning, the divine intent of what these laws were always intended to convey. And in doing so, he calls his followers to the righteous lifestyle of true obedience to the true meaning of these laws. That's the point. But having said that, before Jesus begins to explain the correct interpretation of any of these specific laws, and he starts with the, with murder, as we'll see next week, he first introduces the subject of the law of Moses itself in general. And in verses 17 through 20, our study this morning, he explains two truths that are related to the law. These are critical truths. First, and this is where we're going. This is our outline this morning. So you might want to write this down. First, he explains that his teaching was in complete agreement with the Old Testament law. Complete agreement, complete harmony. He's not giving some new teaching. What he taught is what has been taught. Secondly, he tells us that, that his followers are to obey and teach the Old Testament law. His teaching is in harmony with it. His followers 
are to obey and teach others to obey it. Now, I realize that whenever believers today hear things like, like this, that we're to obey and teach the Old Testament law, we, we can get a little nervous because there's, there's been confusion on this subject, and it raises all kinds of questions, such as, should we be eating only kosher food? Is it right to eat anything that, that would be non-kosher? After all, that's what the law said. Should we be observing the Sabbath by not working on Saturday? Are we wrong to meet on Sundays as a church? Should we be meeting on Saturdays like the Seventh-day Adventists do and, and teach? Are we required to celebrate certain holidays like Passover? Should you have been to a Passover Seder? What about the Day of Atonement coming up the, in the fall and festivals like that? And, and if you take it that far, then it raises other questions, other laws. What about stoning to death a rebellious child? That's taught in the law. What about executing someone who commits adultery? That's taught in the law. What about offering animal sacrifice? That's all over the law. So, so you see, we have to answer this. You have to be consistent. These are valid questions to ask, and we need answers to them. But the way, and the only way to get these answers is by getting into our text, discovering exactly what Jesus said about the law. Because what he said deals with this kind of question and these kinds of questions that come up. So the first thing that Jesus said about the law is this. His teaching, he said, was in complete agreement with the law of Moses. And in fact, all of the Old Testament. Let's look at verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, let's stop there. He starts off by telling his disciples not to think that he had come to destroy the Old Testament law or prophets. Now, in saying that, what, what he is saying is this, that his mission in coming to earth was not to destroy the Old Testament scriptures by establishing some new teaching that unseated the law, that, that replaced the Bible's old teaching. That's what he's saying. And why, we know that Jesus means exactly this, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why he said it in a moment. But how do we know this is what he's talking about? Well, because the word abolish means to tear down, means to destroy. It was the very same word that he used later in Matthew's gospel to speak of the destruction of the temple. It means to annul, to destroy, to tear it down, do away with it. And in using the term law and the prophets, that Jesus clearly referring to the entire Old Testament scriptures. You see, Jewish people back then, they didn't call it the Old Testament. We only call it the Old Testament in contrast to the New Testament. To them, it was just their, their Bible, but they had different names to describe their Bible. Sometimes they referred to it as the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. They divided into three categories. And Jesus used that formula, that way of speaking of the law in Luke twenty four forty four. At other times, they referred to the Bible as Moses and the prophets. Jesus quoted Abraham in that story of the rich man and Abraham and, and Lazarus in uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 29, where he said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. That referred to the whole Bible. Sometimes the entire Old Testament was just called the law. And you can see this because in verse 17, Jesus refers to it as the law and the prophets. But in verse 18, speaking of the same thing, he calls it just the law. So what you need to see is that what, the, what he's saying is that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. He didn't come to do away with the five books of Moses or the rest of the inspired prophets, meaning the whole, what we call Old Testament, the, the Hebrew scriptures. 
Now, why do you suppose he said that? What would compel him all out of the blue to come up with this? To just He's talking about the Beatitudes. He's talking about salt. He's talking about light. And all of a sudden, he says, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. Where did that come from? It's very simple. He knew that some of his followers were wondering where he was coming from. He knew that some of his followers were wondering, was Christ's ministry, was his ministry somehow in opposition to the Old Testament scriptures? Had Jesus come to replace the law and the prophets with his own new teaching? And why would they think that? Well, put yourself in their place, and it's not hard to, to understand. The typical Jewish person of that day could easily see that Jesus did not fit the mold of a uh, traditional Jewish religious leader. He hadn't been trained in any of the customary religious theological schools. He was not a member of, of any sect, especially the Pharisees. These were the men who were recognized by the Jewish people as the official authoritative teachers and interpreters of the law. In fact, Jesus not only wasn't a Pharisee, but many of the things the Pharisees said and did, he was in opposition to. He rebuked them for their many traditions, man-made traditions. He said, you've got these traditions, but you don't even obey the law itself. And they said, no, you don't obey the law. You heal on the Sabbath and you're breaking the law. Now, they were wrong. But you can see the tremendous tension there. they, They spoke of ceremonial defilement. They said, you can't be with sinners. You can't eat a meal with them. And Jesus said, they're the ones who need a physician. I mean, there are constant, constant arguments going back and forth. And so... Uh, Jesus rejected their teaching. They rejected his lifestyle and his teaching. And, and it wasn't only the, the content of his teaching and the practice of his life that gave the religious leaders all kinds of problems. But as we said before, his very style of teaching was so different. He was his own authority. He didn't quote anybody. And so, so the typical Jewish person looked and said, you know what? When he comes to teach, he's got disagreements with the Pharisees over the law, and yet they're the official teachers. He, uh, he does things that they say breaks the law. He speaks in his own name, his own authority. He doesn't speak in any rabbi's name. And so we're wondering, is Jesus setting himself up as his own authority over the sacred pages of Scripture? And that's why the Lord begins this section by answering that question in saying, did I come to abolish the law or the prophets? No. In fact, just the opposite is true. The rest of verse 17 said, I, says, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. You see, instead of replacing the old law with any new laws, Jesus is saying that he actually came to, to fulfill, which means to complete the divine law. In other words, the Lord is claiming that he's the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. It speaks of him. He came to fulfill them. He is the theme of the Old Testament. That is what he said, by the way, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus when he opened the word to them. And later they said, didn't it burn in our hearts to to hear him expound the scriptures? Because it said, beginning with Moses, he went through Moses and the prophets and showed them all things that it was written of him. Now, this is a very important truth to grasp. If you don't understand what Christ is saying about the fulfillment of the law, especially the law, you will tend to be confused about the law. And that's why there are a lot of believers, especially you see this in Jewish believers, who put themselves under the law again. So they feel obligated to to have a Passover Seder. They feel like they can't eat sweet and sour pork and things of that nature. They they have to do these things. That Saturday is more important than any other day. And you see them putting themselves back under the law. Unless you understand what Jesus meant, you might want to do that yourself. But you don't need to. When Jesus said that he had 
that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, he essentially meant that he was the completion or the fulfillment of all scripture. Now, it's not hard to see how, how he completes or fulfills the prophets because they gave specific messianic prophecies, such as where he was to be born, Bethlehem, how he was to die. Isaiah 53 speaks of that. Uh, The resurrection, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 speak of that, and Psalm 16 and all that. So there are many prophecies that you can see literally fulfilled by Christ's life and ministry. But a more challenging question is, how did Jesus fulfill the law of Moses? Those laws that were revealed in the first five books of the Bible, also, by the way, referred to as the Torah. Well, the Old Testament law can be divided into three areas. Now, listen closely. This is, this is helpful. In fact, I just uh, spoke at a conference recently where somebody asked me a very question about this, this issue in this verse. The Old Testament law can be divided into three areas. First of all, you had ceremonial laws. Secondly, there were judicial laws. And then thirdly, there were moral laws. And Jesus fulfilled all of them. So let's go through that and explain that and what, the, what we mean by this. First of all, he fulfilled all of the ceremonial laws, those laws that govern the way Israel worshiped the Lord, such as you have the priesthood, sacrificial system, Jewish feasts, dietary laws, ritual cleansings, all, all that would come under ceremonial Laws, they were ceremonies. Jesus fulfilled them all. The New Testament makes it very clear that all of the Old Testament ceremonies were mere symbols, folks. They were only pictures. They were not realities. They they were not the substance. Christ is the substance. They were pictures that pointed to him. Once he came, you you don't need these shadows. You don't need these symbols. They've lost their significance. That's why, in fact, the entire book of Hebrews is all about that. Come out of Judaism. You have something far better in Christ. He is superior to the Old Testament priesthood. He's superior to the sacrificial system. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the Sabbath. All these things. The Sabbath is a little bit different. You can go back on the studies on the Ten Commandments to see that. But but that's the message of, of Hebrews. The symbols have lost their significance. And that's why the Apostle Paul specifically addressed this. Colossians chapter 2. In fact, I I wrote a little booklet, I think it's in our booklet rack, on messianic synagogues in Judaism, which which people in that put themselves under the law. And I I wrote a booklet at the request of uh, Ron Grossman and his mission to Jewish people, answering this very question, are we under the law? Do we need to do this stuff? Well, look at what Paul said in in Colossians 2.16. Very pointed, very clear. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food, or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things, notice how he, how he interprets these things, which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. These verses answer the question of whether or not you need to be biblically obligated to keep kosher, to eat only kosher food, or worship on Saturdays, or keep the Jewish holidays. The answer is no, because those laws, those ceremonial laws only were symbols pointing to Christ, and they were fulfilled in him. That's why on the night he was betrayed and arrested, Jesus changed the symbols of his, uh, of his death from the Passover feast to the Lord's Supper. The Passover feast had already served its purpose because it pointed people forward to Christ as the Passover lamb. That's why you don't need to have a Passover Seder. 
Just uh, yesterday, I was talking to my dad, and he said he was going to celebrate the Passover. He said, do you have the little books on that? I said, no, I'm sure they're in our area, but I'm not going to. And you know why? Because in Jesus, we do celebrate that. We do celebrate that. That was just symbolic. You don't have to go back to the symbolism. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that's fulfilled, and, and every day you, you celebrate the Passover. Every day you recognize that it was fulfilled in him, you are celebrating, you are keeping it. And, and that's why, as I said, the symbols of the Lord's Supper now serve as reminders to look back at Christ's death. You don't need something pointing to look forward. It's already happened. And we are already out of time. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this study on our next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more about Lakeside, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse depends a great deal on our generous listeners who pray for us and give to this ministry. If you'd like to be a part of our support team, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or visit the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. Whether He leads you to give or pray, may the Lord bless you richly as you follow Him. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. One area of our faith that can be hard to grasp is how much, if any, of the Old Testament law God expects us to follow. There were moral, legal, and ceremonial laws to keep. Pastor Steve will consider that subject on our next Verse by Verse. We are here to give you strength between... 